hello everyone and thank you for joining our podcast and video for what is our second conversation on a very important and relevant topic of transformation. In the first session, we covered HR transformation, its past, present, and future. And today our topic is workforce resiliency. To put this topic in context, a recent study published by AMN of over 500 healthcare leaders shared that burnout, disengagement, and staffing shortages are the most disruptive forces facing healthcare in the next three years. I'm excited to continue the discussion on transformation with a focus specifically on how these HR leaders have led efforts to strategically transform their workforce and create resiliency amongst their caregivers. My name is Luke Morris. I am a consultant with Wit Kiefer, and I am proudly joined by Dan Young, also a consultant in our healthcare practice. Both of us are passionate about healthcare and HR, and we get the pleasure of working with hospital leaders from across the country in helping their organizations hire the best talent in order to transform and change healthcare. As the COVID-19 pandemic persists, I hope that you and those around you continue to stay well. We know you are extremely busy in your roles and we feel privileged to have you listening in during this uncertain time. Today, we are honored to have four uh, fantastic HR executives from across the country. Working our way from the West Coast to the East Coast, we have Lisa Faust. Lisa joins us as the Chief People and Engagement Officer for John Muir Health, a highly reputable $2 billion system in Northern California. Next, we have Heather Brace. Heather is the Senior Vice President and Chief People Officer for Intermountain Healthcare, headquartered in Utah. Intermountain is an almost $8 billion organization um, with over 41,000 caregivers. Next, we have Ani McNeil. Ani is the Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer with Trinity Health. She covers a portfolio of over 4 billion, almost five, in operating re revenue and over 28,000 caregivers leading HR in the states of Michigan, Georgia, and Florida. And on the East Coast, we have Carmen Canales. Carmen um, is the Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer for Novant Health in North Carolina, a $5 billion integrated system with over 37,000 caregivers. So as you can see, we have a very impressive group of HR leaders here with us today. I wanna to thank each of you for joining us. And now we'll turn the time over to Dan to get us started. Thanks, Luke. And as uh, Luke introduced, this is Dan Young uh, with Wiki for based out of Nashville, uh, Tennessee. So just an honor to spend a little bit of time here with everyone. What a impressive group, uh, Carmen, Ani, it's great to see you again. Lisa, Heather, thanks so much for joining us. Really excited about the conversation. And to Luke's point, you know, we recognize everyone is extremely busy right now. Um, and so we've tailored these discussions to be short, to just focus on one topic at a time. And by doing this, we feel like other HR leaders across the country will uh, really gain value from this discussion as they learn more about each of you, your perspectives and experiences on the topic. This is the second of three-part discussion. And our topic today is extremely relevant, popular, and necessary to talk about. Uh, workforce resiliency is the topic. We'll discuss several important questions like what strategies are most effective to address burnout and what innovative ways have you used staff and your organization differently to provide the best patient care. Our hope is that the session and others to come in the future will be valuable to those watching and listening as you all face challenges in your role every day. 
and as we seek to serve our broader healthcare community. So let's jump in. Uh, here we go. So Lisa, I'll put you on the spot if maybe we can start with you for this first question. Um, you know, what strategies have you and your organization used uh, lately to address some of these, these burnout topics? Like One of the things that we're really proud about um, is a pilot that is coming to an end this month, as a matter of fact, well, in April, um, that we um, are doing to specifically address the um, anxiety, compassion fatigue, um, just the multitude of stressors that come with um, living in a pandemic, caring for folks who are coming to our health facilities for services, but managing all of the stressors within their own personal lives, our frontline caregivers are taking advantage of what we're calling our Better Up Care pilot. So with the organization Better Up, with whom we already had a leadership coaching uh, relationship, we um, explored an opportunity to make um, mobile virtual coaching and uh, just basically life coaching available to our frontline employees. Um, we are a uh, 6,400 employees in our health system and we've had um, over 700 employees take advantage of this opportunity. So it is, um, it's a virtual coaching opportunity that links the employee with um, a coach on their mobile device. They have the opportunity to choose among a, a wide variety of coaches and on a wide variety of subject matter. So it might be a frontline employee who is not just concerned about um, staying healthy and staying safe, but is perhaps juggling the parenting stressors of a, of a child at home or children at home who are doing virtual learning and trying to keep everything running, all the trains running and uh, on, in their own households. Um, we have had a lot of employees take up the Better Up Care pilot simply to manage through their own fear and anxiety related to the pandemic. We are um, right now thinking about whether or not this is a really uh, formidable, perhaps alternative to traditional EAP services, um, which as we know, tends to be a somewhat underutilized benefit that employers pay for. But because this is such a ubiquitous, convenient, um, uh, customizable experience, we're thinking that it might be something that either serves as a permanent adjunct or even as a replacement for our traditional EAP offering. We marketed our Better Up Care um, through our leaders. Uh, we do a lot of leader rounding at John Muir Health. It's, a, it's part of our leader standard work. And um, our, the frontline leaders, they typically know which of their employees are struggling the most. And so we created these little cards that they could carry around in their pocket. And when they, in those moments of of those touch points with, uh, within their leader rounding experience, they would hand out the information about how to link up with the Better Up Care um, uh, team. And uh, it's been going very well. We also equipped our chaplains who round on our staff members frequently um, and incre with increasing frequently frequency through the pandemic. And um, so far it's been very, very well received. And I think our employees are feeling as though it it fills their cup, but in a way that is so highly customizable that it feels like it's been a worthwhile investment. We, by the way, paid for the pilot um, through the very generous support of our community who opened up their hearts and their wallets um, in the fall through some fundraising events that honored healthcare heroes at John Muir Health. And so it's been a wonderful way to allow the community's support 
to support the direct, direct patient caregivers who's been, who've been on the front line of the pandemic here at John Muir Health. Wow, what a cool way to bring the community about to care for one another. That's uh, really neat. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing, Lisa. Heather, I'll throw the same question to you. What are, what are you guys doing? Sure, thanks, Dan, and thanks, Luke. First of all, thanks for inviting us to to talk about this really important topic. And, you know, I'm sure each of us would say that um, resiliency and wellness was uh, something we're all trying to focus on even pre-pandemic. But pandemic actually throw that in the mix and things have gotten a bit crazy over the last year. And we've been monitoring, you know, the resiliency of our workforce every single month since the, we were in the midst of the pandemic. And, you know, we've seen highs and lows all through the last year. Um, we actually, as an organization, early into the pandemic, did some what we call voice of the caregiver um, surveys, asking what people needed. And we framed it around four key areas, which we put under a campaign um, that we called Together We Can Do This. And the four key areas were keep me working, keep me safe, keep me informed, and keep me well. And um, one of the things that we learned early on is those are the things that our caregivers were asking of the organization. But what we realized is this had to take on a shared accountability model that we can create programs to keep people informed, keep people well, keep people safe, but our caregivers have to give as well. They have to be committed to wear PPE. They have to be committed to read the information. They have to be committed to, to do the things together. So we actually created programs and initiatives under each of those categories. So for example, keep me working. Um, as many of you all experienced, we turned off elective procedures uh, in late March. And for two months, we had about 4,000 of our caregivers who did not have work as it related to what they normally did day to day. So we made a commitment early on that we would keep people working as long as people could be flexible. So we moved nurses to HR and had them become employee health nurses um, because we had a great need to keep people safe. We you know, made a commitment to PPE and all kinds of safety measures. We put caregiver safety officers in place on each unit, uh, particularly our clinical units, to really focus on safety in a whole new way. Um, keeping people informed through new avenues, text messaging, real-time communications, different kinds of communication channels. A lot like what Lisa talked about in keeping me well, you know, a lot of presence of leadership uh, in rounding. Um, our EAP played a really big um, role in, you know, traditional ways people would set up appointments and go visit an EAP counselor. We moved very quickly to virtual and moving our EAP counselors onto units and um, used cards similar to what Lisa shared, what, what we called um, pass along cards that had mental health support for our caregivers. I think one other key piece, and I'm sure we all experience this, overnight, 10,000 of our caregivers moved from in-person working to now working at home. So personal and professional lives literally clashed overnight. So as you know, in the past, we um, did not have issues where people were caring for children or aging parents at the same time that they were trying to work. So we were really trying to infuse a different level, a high level of flexibility into our workforce and a, what I would call a extending grace 
to our caregivers in a whole different way um, to really try to weather all of this together. You know, one of the things that we saw too is um, different people had different experiences. They were often taking care of sick kids or sick parents with COVID, um, scared about COVID themselves, but also our caregivers' um, spouses were losing their jobs. You know, maybe they worked in retail or travel or some other industry that was hit much harder in a different way. And we realized we had to provide support to our caregivers in a different way around um, keeping people fed, keeping people whole. And, and that's something that we we actually hired a um, what we call as caregiver social well-being manager that began to tie all of our community resources and really make them both visible and available for our caregivers. We started delivering meals um, in the same way Lisa said our, our community stepped up in huge ways and opened their wallets to, to support our caregivers. And we used that money to help fund programs um, around food insecurity. So, and we had a, a, a way that caregivers could call into HR so they didn't have to ask their manager really to help preserve dignity and confidentiality. And then we used our home care services to deliver the food to the homes of our caregivers who were in need. And we were surprised to see that was not just your very entry-level workers. There were people all across the spectrum who were experiencing need in ways that they had never experienced it before. So we are happy to see in our recent surveys, because we've been doing Pult surveys for the last year, we hit a low in resiliency and burnout, probably around September, October timeframe. And we're seeing that improvement um, in really dramatic ways. Uh, through the surveys. I think through the support, through the flexibility, um, through having leaders care and ask questions to our caregivers in different ways. And obviously with the pandemic shifting, um, we are seeing some improvement in those scores. So look forward to hearing what others um, have to share as well, because a lot of the things we put in place, we learned from other organizations. So uh, I think these are great opportunities to share and learn. Yeah, totally. What a great opportunity to, to listen to, to what the folks were saying and then mobilize responses, pulling together both internal and community resources, Heather, to, to address those priorities, right? And it's an ongoing, ongoing challenge. So thank you for sharing. Um, Carmen, so not only have you all been dealing with this, but also you guys just did a pretty large uh, you know, acquisition as well and have grown the workforce. So curious to hear how you're, uh, you and your team are addressing this. Yes, we are in, uh, in the throes of a merger that's going well. Um, it's an opportunity to further collaborate and to expand our footprint. Um, I'm so appreciative of hearing the, the ideas from Lisa and from Heather. Uh, we've done some of those things as well here at Novant Health. Um, in addition, we, we've, um, we've had to employ our creativity just like everybody else. We have, have had in place already something around provider burnout. And so we've had one day courses, three day courses, and I realize that people may wonder, well, who has time for a course? Uh, but who doesn't have time, you know, for something that really emphasizing a focus on oneself? You know, and really that is with the intention of understanding that it's all important. Everything we do is important. It cannot all be urgent in that moment. And I think this past year, while it has certainly been challenging, has offered an opportunity to all of us to really sort through, you know, what are the things that have to happen at this moment, you know, this week, this month? And what are the things that may take a pause? 
Um, additionally, we shared the same challenges that other, others have mentioned around supporting our workforce with their, their full lives, with everything else going on in their lives. Um, to include normalizing, you know, people popping into your Zoom meeting that may not be you, you know, maybe a pet or a child or somebody else. So just um, really trying to de-escalate you know, stress that they may cause for folks. Um, really increasing our focus on retaining women in the workforce. Um, most definitely during the pandemic, I'm sure we've all seen materials that at some point many women have just given up and said, I, I cannot possibly manage the, the online schooling for my dependents and do a job well. And so we're really interested at this moment in welcoming women back and helping them navigate a way to see how, how that can be possible. We have had a couple of different funds in place. Uh, one that we call the Hope for Remarkable Team Aubergine. Our, our color is Aubergine. And the, um, that was a fund that was very generously donated to, to support um, our team members with things like paying an electric bill, you know, uh, food, um, other things that were real practical matters so that people could continue to survive and thrive. We also launched the first partnership um, nationally during the pandemic with care.com to offer dependent care support. So, you know, there was that period of time where school was remote, then it was like in, in school one day a week, but every, every um, arrangement that you can imagine. And uh, that was challenging. And so this partnership offered a way for our team members, which is what we call our employees, an opportunity to get support for that. We uh, um, also had the opportunity to educate our team members and learning how to be advocates for each other. And so um, we have more than 300 team members participate in an emotional health um, advocate training program to educate them to recognize the, sound, the signs of burnout and stress and to know when to involve others, when to offer a caring conversation. And then in addition did, you know, did things big and small, things like sending a care package to somebody diagnosed with COVID or recovering from COVID or whatever the case may be. So again, I, I really um, appreciate all of these ideas and most certainly will be taking some of them back with me. Thank you. Thanks, Carmen. Uh, really appreciate that response and wonderful thing you all you guys are doing. Um, and Ani, uh, to you on this on this same topic, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, so many wonderful things have already been shared, and um, much of what you know we're doing already in healthcare. But you know, as the others shared, burnout has really been a journey healthcare has been on for so many years, and it was just you know magnified um, through the pandemic, uh, and so you know, what we realized is that there's nothing normal about conducting business during during a pandemic um, or a crisis like this. But one thing that we did is we asked leaders, you know, where they can help to keep our workers happy, healthy, and productive by fostering connection, um, that we would ask them to do that. And, and because people process trauma in so many different ways, um, we established many different connection opportunities for, for our colleagues and for their families. Um, and so I'll kind of highlight them in four ways. We had technology enabled for those that were technology savvy, appreciated, you know, the ability to connect to some of the um, learning modules. We have a program called Live Your Whole Life. Um, and Live Your Whole Life encompasses all forms of wellness, whether it's financial, whether it's eating better, sleeping better, um, you know, linking and speaking to a coach. Um, 
whether it's virtual or live, uh, uh, web-based videos, articles, prayer resources. So being a Catholic health organization, you know, we relied a lot on, on spiritual um, connections to also help um, with healing, but we offer technology enabled and, and, you know, through that also virtual. So our EAP programs, um, making sure that we were communicating not only with our colleagues and our providers, but also with our community. And then, you know, later when the vaccine became available, um, communicating with families so that together as a family, they can make decisions about their choice of receiving the vaccine. So town halls um, were, were really popular with our organization um, across the area that I support. Um, we've probably clocked over 200 town halls um, across all of our hospitals, and we're continuing that. They've, they've really been received very well. Um, and then we had, you know, each of our hospitals had the ability to, to really develop programs that supported their local needs. So we had comfort rooms. Um, we, we would, you know, purchase massage chairs so that our caregivers, you know, can take a break and get a massage or just go to a comfort room and disconnect from the chaos of, of what they're experiencing and, you know, grab a snack or grab a bottle of water. Um, we had frontline appreciation programs in groups. We would have meals to go, um, similar to what I think it was Heather described, meals that would be delivered to homes or they could pick up before they left work. Um, we also had food trucks that we would just kind of sporadically order and just have show up on site and have colleagues go out to, to grab a meal. Um, and then our colleague emergency program fund, um, which was you know, donated by either colleagues or from the community. We had over $2 million um, just in Michigan to support our colleague um, uh, that needed financial support. So whether it's paying a bill, supporting their education, um, if their spouse was out of work, et cetera. And then some high touch real-time activity um, through our colleague care programs. So we had our chaplains and we had our trained behavioral health specialist that would round on our units, but not just on our units, because we know that we had colleagues that were working virtually from home and um, we would also reach out to them. Um, so we called that, you know, all of what I just described is under the umbrella of our colleague care program. And you know, we continue to have outreach um, with our providers. We have a provider wellness um, leader who rounds at all of our hospitals and she creates virtual and in-person programs where we can do that safely now um, to make sure that we are staying in touch with our providers. Um, and because we know that we were at risk with, with some of them prior to the pandemic and more so now. Um, so I know I can go on, but um, we have other, other questions to get to. Thanks, Ani. Yeah, I mean, really a great example of, again, tying in resources, internal, external, utilizing technology where you can, striking up new partnerships and adding that high touch to, to provide assurances to your, your caregivers. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for your answers. Yeah, it, it's impressive to me to see the shift, too, that you all are leading in terms of caring for the team member, the employee, the caregiver at work, not only at work, but outside of work, right? and addressing some of those needs that they have to address, you know, the overall engagement and, and wellness of, of your teams. It's fantastic. So this, no, I think this leads us in, oh, go ahead. If I, if I can just say on that, because I, I think it was Heather that had mentioned it, 
um, you know, one thing that became a really quick reality for us is that we do have to look outside of our colleagues and look into their personal lives. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, that was something you always kind of kept a firewall. Um, but now that we, we realize that in order for our colleagues to be really engaged and to show up to work as their whole self, you know, they're not coming to work just thinking about what they're going to do. They're thinking about their child that's at home virtually learning or potentially struggling, you know, their their spouse or their significant other that may have just been laid off from work. Um, there were so many struggles that now, you know, our colleagues' life became, you know, um, part of what we try to support. You can't own it all. We realize that we can't own and solve everything. But as a, as a partner, we could also work with um, community partners to help create wraparound services, you know, for our employees and for their family. And Luke, maybe one other thing that I would add to that is um, it's been fun also to see how our caregivers support each other. Mm -hmm. We have lots of requests from other caregivers who, you know, maybe um, didn't have the same situations with kids learning at home or both spouses were still working and they kept asking, how can I help? So on a very regular basis, we would post through our social media or internal communication channels if you want to help, certainly no requirement, here are ways that you can do that. One, you can donate to the Caregiver Resource Fund. You can donate PTO. Thousands of hours of PTO were donated throughout the organization for people who needed time off or a leave of absence. Um, the other thing that we saw a lot was trading shifts, moving schedules around, all supporting each other internally, and really us sort of facilitating it but not doing anything directly. It was caregivers helping caregivers. So it was just really incredible to watch sort of that community um, piece of our employees. That's great. Okay. Well, diving in, you know, this next question, I think it dives in a little bit deeper in terms of you know, some of the challenges represented by staffing, right? And how that is a, a huge piece of a caregiver's engagement as well as their wellness and how they manage everything at, at home and at work. Um, and so I'd love to hear from each of you in terms of what are some of the flexible staffing models perhaps that you've introduced that you have, you're using today that you weren't using a year ago. So Heather, maybe we can start with you. Well, thanks, Luke. I think I um, touched on this when I talked about 4,000 of our caregivers were without their normal work for a period of time. So, you know, just first of all, asking for if you can be flexible, we can help move you around the system. I think that initial request really helped shift an, a mindset that I hope we never move back to, from. Um, we quickly set up what we called a system redeployment a redeployment office out of our HR office that coordinated with our, because a lot of this came out of our clinical areas, but that coordinated with our nursing um, areas and our clinical staff every day. We literally were moving people all across the organization because volume shifted very quickly. Our, our children's hospital, I mean, that was normally busy through the winter, did not have the volumes they normally have. Our clinics volumes shifted very quickly. So we had to begin to think about how do we move these places to like our, our anchor hospital where we were just busy and bursting at the seams and moving them into roles that, you know, like I said before, that didn't exist before the pandemic, that were supporting safety and supporting the COVID efforts. So our system redeployment office really became a, a critical piece of this. Um, 
you know, just because of some coordinated efforts and relationships that I had with CHROs, just like you across the country, we never tapped into travel nursing until September of last year. Now that's pretty incredible to think that we went from March until September of last year and did not use any travel nurses. Instead, what we did, you may have heard about this, we partnered with two systems out of New York City. Um, New York Presbyterian and Northwell Health. Um, I'm really good friends with both of those CHROs and they were needing a lot of help in April because New York City experienced a huge surge with COVID when the rest of the country hadn't seen that yet. We sent a hundred of our caregivers to New York City with the promise that if we experienced the same thing that we would trade back um, the, the caregivers to come and support Salt Lake City. That ended up happening in August of Sept and September of last year. So it allowed us not to pay um, traveler rates. We were paying our normal caregivers the rates of pay that they normally made and just sent them to work somewhere else. So it was a, it was a way that we kept them working, um, but in another facility. And then that was given back to us in September or October of last year um, when we were experiencing our surge. So that ability to partner with other systems and share employees was great because we knew that both of those systems cared about quality and safety and engagement in the same ways we did. And they, we knew they would take care of our caregivers and we would do the same. So that's been a really key. And we've maintained those partnerships of how we could potentially do that outside of, outside of COVID. Um, but I think the biggest shift that's happened is that mindset shift. And Luke, you worked at Intermountain before, and I'm sure we're not unlike any other health system. We really thought traditionally about staffing, which is I work at LDS Hospital in the ICU at LDS Hospital, and that's how our nurses thought. And today they're really thinking about, I work as a nurse at Intermountain Healthcare, and we're really leveraging working together by specialty to help move them around. We're also allowing people to volunteer to train outside of a specialty or outside of um, geriatrics versus adult versus pediatrics. And we're really surprised that a lot of our caregivers want to do that. If we force it, they don't like it. But if we ask for volunteers, we've had a lot of people who say, hey, I've, I've always been interested in working in pediatrics, but didn't feel comfortable to make that leap myself. So really investing in the reskilling and upskilling. And we have a lot of our caregivers who are now moving between ICU and acute care, between pediatric and adult. And it's been fun as an extra development opportunity to see that. So those are things we hope we don't rewind from and we can just keep accelerating that into the future and moving people around in that way. Yeah, thank you for sharing, Heather. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Ani, what about you? Um, you know, similar to, to Heather, we, we deployed a redeployment process from our Trinity Health National um, Office in Livonia, Michigan. And, you know, if you know anything about Trinity Health, we have 96 hospitals across 21 different states. And so being able to kind of do what you described, Heather, between New York and in your hospital was exactly what we did. Um, in 2019, we had begun to stand up a mobile workforce that had started back in our Michigan hospitals in, in 2013. And this mobile workforce is, they're in hubs across all of our hospital, all of our hospital regions. 
and they're meant to um, be used in, in place of contract labor. So they're your own, they, you know, they're living your values, your mission, um, understand your daily, you know, educational needs, activities, etc. And so um, in 2019, we had started to deploy that model across other regions within Trinity. And it worked in our favor, you know, um, we, we actually accelerated. Um, it was an unintended consequence of the pandemic that we were able to accelerate our deployment strategy for first choice is what we call it. And um, early in the pandemic, we avoided the use of contract labor because we were able to deploy the first choice team that we had. And we were also able to deploy from areas that weren't experiencing the surges to areas that were experiencing. And it was very much like Heather described, all of a sudden you have this sense of unity, you have this sense of, you know, we're coming together to fulfill our, our purpose as caregivers, no matter where we do it, right? Um, and it was just wonderful to see um, that, uh, that group coming together. I would also say that um, it also provided an opportunity for our nursing leaders to um, think of different ways that they can staff versus the traditional 12 hour shifts um, and, and just kind of create some breakthroughs, I think for them that you can have some, you know, untraditional ways of staffing your unit um, and also accelerate the, the hiring of um, uh, grads, you know, new grads. We, we oftentimes are limited by the number of new grads that we include into our programs. And so we're starting to realize that a little bit differently. Outside of our, our clinical areas where we became a little bit more flexible is with the group that we had to redeploy to their homes. Um, and so making sure that they have the technology and the equipment and, and also being able to flex with them, realizing that although they're home, they might still be dealing with the needs of, of family and children. Um, and so where we could make some flexible arrangements, um, we tried to. Uh, and then, you know, continuing on with those arrangements today. You know, we're, we're in an endemic now, right? It's kind of amongst us and all around us, um, not going away anytime soon. And so how do we continue to live in within those arrangements that we made during the pandemic? Um, how do we kind of make those real? How do we live into them um, as we, we continue? Yeah, thank you, Lonnie. That's great. Carmen? Sure, great ideas again. Um, you know, I would say that one thing that comes to mind is that we looked at all of our roles and for our corporate roles, we had folks working remotely, certainly like everybody else did. And it's interesting to see what's out there now because I just can't imagine a world in which we now require people to sit in an office, you know, five days a week, seven days a week, whatever it is. Um, you know, the downside of that, again, as part of this burnout conversation is how do we teach people to turn it off if the place that they're working from is in their home or you know whatever else it may be. Um, but having said that, you know, like others, we're looking at a hybrid work arrangement for roles that can do that, you know, ongoing. Um, like everybody else, it's an opportunity to consider how do we maximize the real estate that we have? How do we take advantage of people, you know, having a reduced or no commute? Um, on our minds is how do we pay attention still to building community while you offer, you know, a hybrid work arrangement or a flexible work arrangement. It's been telling to see, to learn about, a lot about leaders in terms of how do they need to lead people or how do they, they think they had to, um, I, you know, where folks um, kind of may want to have people around them 
but in some cases we've seen that may be more about the leader than about the, the productivity of the team. So it's been nice to dispel some myths that people may have had in mind. Um, in addition, we're really focused on pipeline talent and the pipeline gets earlier and earlier. So, you know, geez, middle school, kindergarten, how do we get people to start thinking about Novant Health as an employer, you know, in this case. Um, on the clinical side, we look at split shifts. We look at what roles can volunteers or corporate folks do so that um, frontline uh, workers really are narrowly focused on just what they had to do, you know, frontline during this really challenging past year. Um, same, I think, as Annie, as Annie mentioned, we realized that some people had cameras on their laptops and others didn't, you know, and so it gave us an opportunity to look at things again through a lens of inclusion and kind of who has access to what and how does that enable them to thrive and to, and to move forward. Um, and then, you know, I would just say that from my own culture, you know, we're, we're taught to ask three times. So, you know, somebody says, do you want a cup of coffee? No, thank you. Would you like one? It's right here, you know, I'm making it. And the third time is when you can say, I would really love a cup of coffee, right? And so, you know, at work, I think that translates into what do you need? You know, do you have what you need? How can I help you with what you need? And often it's that third time where somebody will say, you know what, I really do need something or I have this on my mind. So I, I mentioned that just in terms of staffing models, because sometimes you don't really know until you're a bit persistent in the asking. And, um, you know, we're all creative, but some of the things are, are, are simple fixes. That's great. Thank you, Carmen, for sharing. Lisa? There are so many amazing ideas that have already been shared. I was trying to sort of pick around the edges and, and maybe mention some things that I didn't already hear, but it, that was hard. <laughs> um, John Muir Health had a pretty provincial attitude about work from home arrangements prior to the pandemic. And needless to say, we have completely blown up our prior theories about that and have taken kind of a hybrid approach. We have certain leaders who want to haul everybody back into the office now, it, or now that it's beginning to feel like the coast is clear, while we have other departments where there is absolutely no reason under the sun why they cannot continue to work full remote, including their leaders. We have um, worked really uh, well around creating standards for productivity and measuring um, how work is performed remotely and how do we um, engender that connectivity that makes an employee feel engaged and also makes the organization feel as though the investment in their uh, at-home technology and workspace is worth our investment because we're getting that, that, uh, that, that value-added relationship and the employees are loving it. Um, the other thing I would point out is that it's, there's nothing like a pandemic to challenge particular leaders to step up and take on new roles. And we have had so many interesting promotions and creations of new roles as a result of seeing leaders and seeing frontline employees through a very different frame than we would have otherwise perhaps been able to had there not been this pandemic that required a full court press. Um, like others, um, we also have an RN residency program and it is generally way oversubscribed hundreds of applicants for just a very small number of slots, but we were able to pull those, um, those top performers, but who didn't make the final cut for the residency um, as nurse externs to work in our vaccination clinics. And they're loving that because that gives them work experience for their resume with John Muir Health. And we get to see them in action. And now we're creating that pipeline, that, that unanticipated, but wonderful pipeline nonetheless of a very talented and experienced and now um, uh, well acquainted with John Muir Health's brand promise and the way we work and what our expectations for a service mindset at John Muir Health are. 
And then finally, the other idea that I just wanted to share is that I'm sure like the other health systems represented on this call, we partnered with the local skilled nursing facilities and sent our teams out there, understanding of course, that if we can keep their uh, resident population healthy and intact, they likely won't end up in our emergency rooms, intensive care and med surge units that had been dedicated for COVID care. And that allowed our teams to really experience, we only took volunteers, we didn't make anybody do it, but um, obviously completely overwhelmed and grateful for the number of volunteers that we received, far more than we needed. And uh, we kind of strengthened a relationship with our communities that, um, that wasn't there before. I mean, we, we always have had a very strong presence in our communities, but that particular rather intimate relationship with the skilled nursing facilities really was nurtured and developed throughout the pandemic. And, um, and, and the hypothesis worked. We were able to um, control that pipeline of patients and uh, you know, controlled our census um, just a bit as a result of those efforts. Yeah, great comments. It's it's fun to see the or, your, your organizations adapt and change and really be flexible, and and look at the needs of the caregivers as well as the patients and how can you best care for them. Thank you. Yeah, and so I know we're we're running a little bit out of time. I want to be cognizant of that, but one impactful question, and then we hope this conversation just stays fluid and alive, but. Ani, we'll start with you on this one. And so, you know, in your, in your mind, what needs to change um, in order to continue to increase resiliency uh, within your organization and in healthcare broadly? Yeah, so resilience um, is the bounce back, right? It's, it's the ability to bounce back from, from something traumatic that happens um, and how, how we continue to adapt to it. And knowing that resilience is an inherent attribute of grit so how do we keep moving towards that goal and stay focused on it? And especially with our leaders, as Lisa pointed out, making sure, or maybe it was Carmen, um, really making sure that we continue to work with our leaders so that you know they're they're developing themselves. They know how to handle difficult conversations. You know, in the middle of our pandemic, we also had social unrest and addressing that and feeling comfortable in being able to talk about it openly. Um, so I, I think it's the the full bounce back and in, in making sure that our our colleagues um, feel comfortable. Um, one, I think taking time away from work and just regaining um, mental clarity uh, will create more innovation and higher productivity and engagement in our colleagues. Um, creating a sense of fun. So really like during the pandemic, seeing all of like the healthcare videos and challenges and singing and, you know, it, it just inspired so much fun um, on the units and, and just, you know, across social media platforms. But how do we continue to do that? You know, how do we continue as organizations um, to, to create a sense of fun, um, you know, give people make it okay. I think during the pandemic, um, folks felt uncomfortable taking time away from work. They didn't want to leave a burden with someone else. Um, but as leaders on this call, I think we have to demonstrate and we have to create that shadow of a leader um, and, and make sure that we have self-awareness of how we're showing up at work um, so that others can show up positively as well. Um, so I, that's my takeaway. That's what I'm committed to doing as I you know, continue to move into this year. How am I demonstrating um, 
my actions with my team and with those that I'm serving with, how am I showing up um, with a more improved um, mindset um, and even, you know, physically, physical well-being for me, you know, how do I, how do I continue to focus on that so that I show up as a, a positive um, leader and an influencer? Thanks, Ani. Appreciate that. And uh, Lisa, I'll put that uh, question to you now. In the middle of the pandemic, we launched our Belonging and Equity Initiative, which, as I mentioned, is John Muir Health's answer to a diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, platform for, for the entire health system. And a, a really important piece of that, it's, it's a, an important structural element, is the development of caucuses. And we created a Black caucus, a Latino caucus, an Asian American Pacific Islander caucus. And we used, we leveraged those caucuses and they sponsored listening sessions um, by and for employees of color. And they were facilitated, but they provided these enormously important safe spaces to share fears and concerns, ideas. We use them, for example, to discern why particular communities of color were feeling vaccine hesitancy. Um, and we didn't have that before the pandemic. And we created our Belonging and Equity Initiative in response to the, the significant spring and um, incidences of violence and racial conflict that were being experienced throughout the country and even here in the Bay Area. And um, we really didn't have a sense of how long overdue that was for John Your Health and what an enormously helpful element uh, in terms of a structural permanent change that we're making as a health system. And so for us going forward, our belonging and equity programming, learning opportunities, employee involvement, our caucuses and task forces, and most importantly, those listening sessions will be an incredibly important element to help us um, test ideas, see how they're resonating with our employee communities and allowing them to have a voice where they feel um, comfortable and safe to share their, their concerns and their feedback in a way that we had not experienced before the pandemic came to town. So it wasn't because of the pandemic, but it happened to be time during the pandemic. Um, and it was all the more meaningful, I think, as a result. Thanks, Lisa. And then uh, appreciate that. And, and Carmen and then Heather, if you'll finish this out on, on that particular topic would be excellent. Sure. In addition to what I've heard, I'll just mention that um, where there's the opportunity, we are moving to Zoom free or meeting free Fridays so that people can do their work while at work, could not necessarily do their homework afterwards. Um, it, as others have named a, a real focus on understanding that underrepresented groups are all distinct groups. And so there's not one answer for one population and then another answer for everybody else, but really there are distinct, distinct needs and distinct answers. So taking the time to have listening sessions to unpack that, to inform a response is helpful. And then, you know, lastly, I'll just mention that when people ask me personally about, you know, how are you resilient? How do you do what you do? You know, I, I often just tell folks, and it's often women who ask me this, you can have it all, just not necessarily concurrently. It, it might be consecutively. Uh, so, you know, you, you kind of have to sort through at this moment in time, um, what is the, the one thing that I can do well in a couple of things and um, give each other a break and, you know, give each other um, grace that it may not all be happening at the same time. Well, Dan, I'll close out by saying I don't have a whole lot more than what uh, the other three have shared, but I think um, maybe I would end by saying 
uh, we've been resistant to change in healthcare just in general. <laughs> and I think the pandemic has been sort of that great reckoning or great accelerator to recognize um, we can change. We should change and we shouldn't go back um, as we now are competing with Amazon and Google and uh, Walmart and CVS. Um, our environments are going to have to shift and look more like that than the traditional legacy healthcare systems that we've all been a part of. And so I would say that um, we can be thankful for the pandemic for giving us that opportunity to, to recognize the places that we can shift and that we should shift. And to be resilient, we're going to have to be more open to those changes. And our leaders are going to have to be good change leaders. And, and that's a really key piece of our leadership development um, at Intermountain is being a good change leader. So thank you for inviting us. And I think this has been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks yeah, for thank everybody. You. Yeah, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. What an incredible discussion. Ani, Lisa, Carmen, Heather, really thank you for your time. Um, and thanks to all of you who have taken time to listen to this podcast video. Be on the lookout for additional sessions in the future. Everyone have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. We invite you to visit wikifer.com to learn more about our expertise in leadership and view our open searches. You can follow Wikifer on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Wikifer. Wikifer makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and the recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Reliance on the information provided in this podcast is undertaken at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Third-party materials or the contents of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of Wikifer. Wikifer assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein. Wikifer makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating or destructive properties. Wikifer expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented 